Hi, and welcome to another great message from Noosa Church. We pray that you're impacted and inspired by this teaching. For more information and service times, check out our website at noosa.church. Enjoy. Okay. This morning I want to talk a little bit about transitioning from living an independent life to the life of a disciple. Because that's what we're about in church. That's why we come to church services. That's why we, that's why we do what we do. Because you know, Jesus didn't say, uh, go, and give, you know, go and heal people. He didn't say, go and get people rich. He didn't say, go and do that. He said, go and make disciples of all nations. I want to talk a little bit about how to transition into that this morning, but I first want to start and read some scripture out of Isaiah chapter 40. It's up on the screen if you don't know. It says this, Have you not known? Have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary? His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. We know those amazing words so well. Such a famous scripture, but to me it's something that it needs to be central in our lives. We need to continually acknowledge. Sometimes you need to say to yourself, have you not known, have you not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor gets weary. My favourite thing this week, every day, was to come in in the morning, fresh after a good night's sleep, and say good day to Christian, who gradually, over the week, just declined in his appearance till Friday when he was an absolute basket case. And I thought, there's a man committed to his job. But the Lord, he never grows weary. He never grows weary. He must be our anchor. And those who wait on the Lord, they shall renew their strength. So let's talk about being disciples. Let's talk about it firstly from the perspective of being a student of Christ. If you talk to a modern-day prospective student and you said this is what it means to be a student, it means hanging on your teacher's every word, it means to follow in his or her steps, it means to sleep outside their door in order to not miss any pearls of wisdom that they might say through the night. It means to watch how they conduct themselves at the table, it means to watch how they live out in the street. You might not get a very warm response from one of our uh, prospective uni students today. Because we live in an independence-based society. We live in a society that's, that is, that is uh, looking, looking for information but not looking to follow. But it's, that's what it is when we're with Christ, isn't it? To, you know, to be a student of a teacher back in, back in Christ's day was to, to commit yourself to living in the same atmosphere as your teacher. There's nothing intermittent about being a disciple. There's nothing sporadic about being a disciple of God. 
Why don't you think about discipleship from the perspective of, of, this, of the concept of being constantly aware, having a constant awareness of God? Disciples are not just there to jot down ideas. There you are today. I can see you all frantically writing all these amazing pearls of wisdom. It's not about jotting down ideas and then going away and thinking about them. As a disciple, we position ourselves with Christ in order to be changed, in order to have a new perspective of the world, in order to see things differently, in order to see ourselves differently. We immerse ourselves in the life of Christ so that what he says, what he does, we say and we do. Even with each other, when we follow each other, the Apostle Paul gives us the great example. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. This is why we commit to a community, not to a service, because it's only in community that we get to see how those who we follow, follow Christ. You cannot see how I follow Christ when I'm standing here. I'm giving you the best version of myself. You see it when I'm out and about. You see it when I'm with my children. You see it when I'm, when I'm driving down the street. You see it when I'm out in the cafe or when I'm packing something up or when I'm setting something up or how I speak to my staff or whatever it is. That's where you see it. You see it when you are having a bad day and you tell me about it and how I respond. You see it when, when, I, when you're upset with me. And you see how, do I respond with a gracious love or do I, do I just attack you back? Follow me, church, as I follow Christ. That's what the Apostle Paul says. We see it everywhere. You see, we have an awareness. We become more aware the more time we spend with God, the more time we spend in his word, the more time we spend with his people, the more time we spend in worship. And that awareness of God makes us expectant. What do we expect? We expect that something's about to break through from the teacher, that he's about to say something. We expect that something in the ordinary is going to be disrupted by the, the inordinary. We expect that that reality is going to open up when we're in his company. I love it. I, you know what I love? It's, I love listening to, to other preachers. And most of the time, I'm never listening to a word they say, but I, I'm in a, we're both trying to hear from God. And I download things. I'm listening to a Christian preach last week. I'm sure it was a great message. I heard nothing. I, just kidding. You know, we, we, when we get in an environment of people who love God, God downloads to us. Someone would come up to me one day and they'll say, oh, I love what you said last week about this. And I'm going, I did not say those words but God gave you a revelation of hope while you're in a bunch of believers who are in this shared agreement that the king of all kings is the giver of life and truth and substance. You receive something from the Lord. We know that famous verse, be still and know that I am God. We still ourselves because it's easier to see God move when we're still. When Kristen and I are, you know, are, um, you know, put our kids to bed and uh, we're downstairs and she's advising me on how to be a better husband and other th- such matters. Um, and, and one of us will, get a, will hear something and we'll go, shh, be quiet, be still. And it, we're going to listen out to see if one of the kids is, is, um, is upset or something or other. It's not until we still ourselves that we get to truly know God and to see him 
to see him move, to hear him speak, and to watch him act. And we do that by creating environments in our life. This week we created an environment for 220 young people to worship, to pray, and to learn. And in the midst of that environment, it's spilled over. You heard Anita talk. There's kids just hanging out in the cafe talking about the people that they prayed for. Isn't that an amazing picture? Sometimes, of course, there's a lot of stillness before we actually hear something from God. And I think this is the deal. You know, I I suspect that for a lot of us, that's what our prayer life is like. There's a lot of stillness and not a lot of hearing sometimes. And I want to encourage you, still yourself in his word. Still yourself around praise and worship. Take time to have, have, have silence in your life so that you can begin to hear and see fresh things that God wants to tell you. Those that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Not those who wait for the Lord, those who wait on the Lord. We're not waiting for God to step into our lives. We're waiting on the Lord. We serve him. How do you wait on the Lord? We serve him. We worship him. We get into his word. We get to know what does God sound like when he speaks? He sounds like his word. Do you want to know whether God's speaking to you or not or whether it's just your imagination? Read his word. And when you read his word, you will know what he sounds like. And when he speaks, you will say, I know that voice. Wait. Be still. Draw near. Come to me. Now The Bible is, is constantly asking us to engage with the king of all kings. Basic discipleship is living in an awareness of Christ, having your eyes sufficiently open and your mind relaxed. I know Kristen's talking about having a stressed out year and full of stuff. You know, my goal this year is to have a lot of physical stuff going on, to be still in my heart and in my mind. One of the battles that we have in life is anxiety and 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 things are brought on not by the busyness of our situation but by the lack of stillness in our heart and mind. And I want to encourage you this year to take moments so that you can be silent, so that you can be still, so that you can get anchored to substance and truth because the demands of your day are not going anywhere. Life, you know, years seem to get quicker and quicker because there's so much more to do, there's so much more to see, we can access more than we could ever access before. There's so much, there's so much to consume in life. But we must have a stillness that overrides the understanding of life. He says, I have a peace that goes beyond your understanding. So if you don't anchor into that peace, the understanding will disrupt your world. Trying to figure out how to get ahead with your family, how to get out of debt, how to make your how to create a grand adventure with your family. One of the key aspects of life is to is to get still and know that He is God. You know, there's an odd exchange in Mark 8 between Jesus and the disciples. And, uh, you know, he's, he's on the boat and there's a bit of a thing going on. They haven't got enough bread. And, and, um, and, Jesus, and the, Jesus reminds them of the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000 and how much stuff is left over. And, and the disciples, are, you know, they're wondering about they've only got one loaf for, for the... They've just experienced Jesus feeding all these thousands of people and then they're still concerned about this that they've only got one loaf of bread for the guys on the boat. And he says, how is it 
that you don't understand. Look at all you've seen. Haven't you grasped who I am yet? This is what I believe the Lord's asking this morning. Haven't you grasped who I am yet, church? Haven't you grasped that the King of all kings, the creator of the universe, sent his Holy Spirit to reside in you, to lead you, to comfort you, to guide you, to speak through you, to open your eyes to hope beyond your understanding? Jesus clearly desires an awareness and an expectancy from his disciples. You can't just be aware. You've got to get used to it. My mum used to work in a bank many years ago. She's here this morning. And, and you know, she would say, you, you, you spend enough time with real dollar bills when a counterfeit comes through, you just know it's not right. She had an awareness of reality, of real money. So when fake money came through, it's like when someone speaks about Donald Trump, when fake news comes through, he, he knows. He who has an ear, let him hear. Jesus keeps saying. We see it, we hear it, but we don't understand what's happening. We don't get it. Jesus is saying, don't, haven't you grasped it yet? You know, we're, post, we're post-resurrection, spirit-filled, Bible-reading believers, and we still miss it sometimes. The Holy Spirit who resides in you. The Bible says you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. When you're walking around and you've surrendered your life to God, you're carrying the Spirit of God within you. He is your comforter. He is your guide. He is your mouthpiece. So we watch with expectancy the world around us, knowing that God is going to show us. He's going to show us our Zacchaeus to go and speak to. Go and speak to that guy. We're just going to go, oh, something about that guy. I need to go and talk to that lady over there. And then we listen for the word to come alive for us in Scripture. We read the Scripture with an expectancy that at some point what we're putting in is going to be revealed to us. The great part of it, the, the hope that is in it, is going to be revealed to us. Sometimes it, it feels, doesn't feel like it's going in with that much interest. You know, it's like, it's like eating protein. Protein doesn't necessarily feel like it's doing anything going in. But when you've still got energy later in the day, you know that you've had some protein that morning. The Word of God is the same. As we consume the Word of God, as we consume it, as we get the protein of God's Word into us, it energizes us without us even realizing it. It's like when we spend time with fellow believers. When you come to church, when you meet fellow believers, I think one of the great questions that we can ask us is, Lord, what are you giving me? What are you teaching me through these people? See, sometimes we're looking for a teaching and God's trying to position us in a relationship. And a relationship will teach you any, much more than any information. I believe Jesus has brought us together precisely so that we would approach each other with a with an air of expectancy. What am I going to learn? What am I going to learn from Aidan Guerin? What am I going to learn from Amy Connected?
Isn't it amazing that God, who God is going to use to teach you? Who's God going to, who's God's going to, he's going to draw something out of someone he's going to deposit in you or he's going to position someone next to you so that you can learn something, so that you can grow together. Can we live in a church that, that has that sort of expectancy toward each other? I think we can, church. I think it's the beginning of the greatest community. I think it's the beginning of a picture of life that people are craving. I think it would be deeply biblical if we live like that. Deeply biblical is my new word for cool, by the way. Decided this year. I'm not going to say cool anymore. I'm going to say that, that could be deeply biblical. Awareness, expectancy, all of this bound up with the idea that a disciple is simply a follower. What did Jesus keep saying to people? Follow me. The problem is, the problem with following is that it assumes that we're willing to be where Jesus is. And I don't know about you, but I would prefer Jesus come with me than I go with him. Because i got plans, you see. I'm going to head over here, I'm going to head over there, I'm going to rip over to Rome later on, I'm going to head, you know, going to go and, go, my mum's turning the great 7-0 this year, we're going to head over to the west and celebrate and I'm going to have some pasta and it's going to be, it's going to be amazing. But we're, who knows what Jesus is up to? I don't want to go where Jesus is going, I want Jesus to come where I'm going. But that's not how discipleship works. Discipleship assumes that we're willing to be where Jesus is. I've read the Gospels and where Jesus goes is frequently not where I really want to go. Look at Luke 14. Jesus talks repeatedly and insistently about what sort of lives cannot be lived by disciples. It's quite confronting. Those who come to Jesus cannot be disciples unless they love him more than they love father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, more than themselves. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciples. These are strong words that Jesus gives us. Here's the point. If you're going to be where Jesus is, those things you think come naturally and comfortably are not necessarily going to define where you find yourself. My gift means that I should be doing this in church and you're asking me to do that in church. You know, I think we should be living on the coast, but God's taking me inland. Where is Jesus going is the question that we ask ourselves. The place where you are going to be is always going to be defined by God. Not by you, not by your qualities, not by your relationships, because no disciple is greater than his master. To surrender that is one of the great battles of the disciple. And I want to challenge you this morning. We need to make the transition from an independent person seeking God's blessing to be a humble disciple following the king of all kings wherever he may go. Being a disciple of Jesus is recognizing that who you are is going to be determined by your relationship with him. We don't discover who we are overnight. You know, my hope that was, you know, when, when I was baptised was that as I came out of the water, I would meet myself properly for the first time. 
But it's, not, it's, it's the longer that I spend with Jesus. It's the more I become aware of who he, he is that I become aware of who I am. And it's a great gift and it gives me a great confidence to step out into the unknown, to, to feel fear and step through it because I know that, that in his strength I can do all things. And if I wait upon him, he will energise what I'm doing. And if I head in the direction that he's going, I get to tap into to his will and his energy and his hope. If other relationships define us in a way that distorts our relationship with Jesus, we become anxious. We get caught in a in a you know caught in the land of frustration. We get frustrated because God's going this way and I'm going that way and I'm going that way because people are defining me. They're saying, oh, you are an amazing, um, you're an amazing athlete. You're an amazing this. You, that is who you are. And Jesus is saying, you're an amazing child. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. If we first identify ourselves as children of God, then we get to walk in the direction that he sends us. Following Jesus means being in the same place of Jesus, as Jesus is. And here's the tough one too. Being where Jesus is means being in the company of people whose company Jesus keeps. Here's the other problem with Jesus. He chooses the company of the excluded, the disreputable, the wretched, the self-hating, the poor, the diseased. That's why I spend time with politicians. Because that's where Jesus is, obviously. If you're going to be where Jesus is, if your discipleship is not sporadic or intermittent, but it's a way of living, then you'll find yourself in the same company that Jesus chooses to be in. So why so many of the great disciples of Jesus across the, across the centuries have found themselves in the company of people they never would have imagined? You wake up every day and look at the people that you do life with and you go, how did I end up with this bunch? Because that's who Jesus wanted you to end up with. He wants us to, he wants this bunch of people right here in this room right now, he wants us to hang out for the next 20 years and uh, grow from each other and stretch and tick each other off and forgive each other and you know redeem relationships that are lost. And he wants us to pray for each other and encourage each other. He wants us to read his word together and worship together. And he says, and at the same time, you'll see my kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We don't go first because... We see something to succeed in. Oh, we're going to get some, go out here and get some converts. No, we first go because we, that's where Jesus is. We feel the call of faith that that's where Jesus goes. You know? and, and in fact, I, I, you know, sometimes people go in faith and have what we would see as an epic failure. And I, think, I think when we get full revelation in heaven, I think we're going to have a very different perspective of what a success was and what a failure was. In fact, I like to look at these apparent failures of people. I love seeing someone just throw caution to the wind because they believe God's called them into a situation and then, and then it all blows up. You know, it's, and I think, 
you know, I go, wow, what a, what a story. I want to know what caused you to step into such a wild space. And, I, and, and when I hear a story of faith, I think, you know what? I have no idea whether that's a success. It looks like an epic failure. But if you're following the call of God, do you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of Jesus dying on the cross. Jesus dying on the cross for like three days was an epic failure. Can you believe it? This epic failure of, of, the, of the Messiah of the world getting killed. It's all, it's all good for us now. We've got this great hind spot that he, was, that he rose again. But at that moment, that was an epic failure. And I look at these lies, I look at what's going on, and I think, man, Jesus was abandoned on the cross. That was an epic failure. Yet, guess what? Here we all are thousands of years later for that exact reason. I'm drawn to these stories of perceived failure. You know why? Because to me it demonstrates what a disciple looks like. Someone concerned with being where Jesus is regardless of the consequences. I want, I want that to be my concern. Now, I'd like to say that it 100% is, but let's face it. I want my concern to be where is Jesus regardless of the consequences. I love that scripture in John 12, where I am, there will my servant be also. I think we tend to look for success to celebrate. God looks for faith to celebrate. I love Hebrews 11 from 30. Let me rip through it. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish. Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and also David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword out of weakness, were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned the flight of the armies against the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. They're the ones we love, aren't they? We love those stories. And then it steps in and it says this, others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. They were killed that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mocking and scourging. Yes, and others chained and imprisoned. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. Uh, they were slain with the sword. They wandered about with sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. And they wandered in the deserts and the mountains, in the dens of the caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. We celebrate the promise. God celebrates our faith. The question for you today is, where is Jesus going? How do you know where Jesus is going? We get aware of him. See, discipleship church, it's not part-time. Discipleship is not a Sunday morning activity. The relationship of Jesus to the Father, it's not... He doesn't happen in episodes. Jesus doesn't receive an occasional bit of information from God and then, and then goes on. His relationship is sustained. It's eternal. It's unbroken. And we in our discipleship are called... We're called to look on the mystery of God. We're called to gaze on him as in a mirror, it says in Corinthians to seek to do his eternal will on earth as it is in heaven. So what does discipleship mean practically, church? Let me give you a couple of things. 
means seeking the company of other servants of Christ. I love it when Anita said this morning, every kid that graduates kids, she positions them in the place of service if she can. Because it's in our service together that we, we remain. We position ourselves practically with other, the company of other servants of Christ. We seek the revelation of Christ in Scripture. And we seek the company of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit through prayer. It means learning a new level of attentiveness to people. It means not being offended by what someone's saying and seeing the image of God that is in them. It means looking at your community and your world in a different way. We get caught in the, in the, in the world when we're so offended by the world we cannot communicate to it. It means learning stillness, attentiveness, expectancy. It means building, being willing to go where Jesus is going. It means being willing to spend time with the people Jesus is spending time with. Why don't you stand with me this morning, church? At the start of this new year, we're only a couple of weeks in. You know, I'm, I'm, I am blessed every day to call this church my home. I'm blessed by what God has done in my heart in this place. I'm blessed by the love that he's given me for such a broad spectrum of people. I'm blessed by the challenges that I've faced, by the, by the arguments that I've had with people and by the redemption that I've seen in relationships. I'm blessed to see a youth group that was 12 a couple of years ago that's now 65 and had 220 kids at a camp this week. I'm blessed that at our carols event this year, just last year, we had all of the churches of Noosa represented together, serving alongside each other, worshipping the king with their community. I'm blessed that we've got an eldership who is diligent in their prayer for our souls. I'm blessed that we've got a committee of management who's, who's diligent in their oversight of the resources of this church, that we would be a blessing to our community and to each other. I'm amazed by a, a, a team of department heads that, that give tirelessly. Most of the things they do, I don't even know about. Rachel said to me the other day, oh, can I come to church at uh, 8 o'clock today? And, and I said, don't we all get there at 8 o'clock? And she, she, was, she was asking me to get there when we were meant to be there because she always comes early. And I thought, what are you people doing that I don't know about? Whatever it is, I'm blessed by it and I'm thankful for it. I want to challenge you today to step, if you're, if you're feeling independent in the way you live your life, step out of independence. Step into discipleship. Because discipleship is where God makes you come alive. He makes communities come alive. He makes churches visible in communities. People go, what's going on up at that Noosa church? There's people love each other. People who disagree and love each other at the same time. What's happening? Got people who vote for Labor and Liberal all in the same church. It's next level. Let me pray for you this morning. Father, I thank you for your people. I thank you what we've we've experienced today. I thank you that we got to worship. I thank you, Father, that we got to take communion and acknowledge your great sacrifice. Thank you that we got to give out of our finances. 
I thank you that we got to experience a beautiful dance from kids who just want to worship you. Thank you that we got to seize the transition from kids' church to youth group. Thank you that we got to open your word and declare it to each other. And I thank you that we get to stand here right now and pray. Father, we're humbled by your grace and we're inspired by your substance. And Lord, we want to commit ourselves afresh to following you, to being your disciples, Father. We want to go where you will go. We want to, we want to sleep outside your door. We want to be completely aware and completely expectant of what you're doing next. Open our eyes and our ears, Lord, so that we can see, so that we can hear, so that we can understand. We don't want to be lacking, Father, in our understanding and in our peace. So this moment, across this place, Lord, still the hearts of your people so that they may know you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this teaching, that you've been encouraged and challenged. To stay up to date with our latest messages, you can subscribe to our podcast. For more information, resource or service times, please check out our website at noosa.church.